As you read the Bible, one of the things you notice is that repetition occurs a great deal. And that repetition is God's way of stressing certain things. And for example, peace with each other is stressed and repeated many, many times in the scriptures. Here's just a sampling of the commands to live in peace. Notice them. Be at peace with one another, said Jesus, Mark 9.50. Be at peace among yourselves, said Paul, 1 Thessalonians 5.13. Seek peace and pursue it, said Peter in 1 Peter 3.11. And then live in peace, 2 Corinthians 13.11. And then the apostle to the Hebrews, strive for peace with everyone, Hebrews 12, 14. So very clearly, God is very concerned about peace amongst his people. Now the question we have this morning is how? How do we go about living in peace in a very angry world, a world that is very, very fractured? How do we have peace in our marriage, in our family, in our church? with our neighbors. Well, one of the greatest peace lovers in the Bible is the father of our faith, Abraham. Two times in the narrative about his life, we are told how he created peace. And what is interesting is on the first occasion, he created peace with a believer, a family member. And then on the second occasion, it was with a non-believer. So I want you to think about this. Abraham is a great model of a peacemaker with all kinds of people. Now this morning, as we finish off Genesis chapter 21, we want to come and see simply a message entitled, Abraham the Peacemaker. And we want to see the requirements for how we make peace regardless of who it is with and the situation we are in. So I want you to notice now as we begin, here is the very first requirement. Peace requires mutual respect. That is so very important. It is the foundation for us to create peace with each other. There must be mutual respect. Take your Bibles this morning And turn with me to Genesis 21, and I want you to look with me starting off at verse 22 and verse 23, and notice this truth as the scripture teaches us. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and the land where you have sojourned, and that was the land where Abraham was now living, that was owned by this king Abimelech. Now, here's what happens this morning. Right away, we see two men who are very different. One is a believer, Abraham, the other is a non-believer, Abimelech. 
But we notice here they both still had a mutual respect for each other. Now this is the same Abimelech, the local king that we saw back in chapter 20, who unwittingly took Sarah in to be a wife to him. And he possibly, as this local ruler in the area where Abraham is now living, had actually been invited to this weaning party for Isaac that we saw earlier in the chapter. And while at the party, Abimelech very clearly saw, as he says, that God was with Abraham in everything that he did, and Abimelech very clearly respected that. Do you know it's also clear that Abraham saw respectable qualities in Abimelech? When Abimelech says to him in verse 23, As I have dealt kindly with you, so you now deal with me, it reminds us of the events back in chapter 20. When Abimelech realized his wrong with Sarah, Abraham's wife, you recall how he made it right. He vindicated Sarah's honor by giving lavish, expensive gifts to Abraham to let him know that he had done honorably even though he had been deceived about Sarah. So here's what we see. Abraham saw also that Abimelech had some honor. That he was a man who cared about right and wrong. Now I want you to think about this with me this morning. Both men had wronged each other, yet there still was this mutual respect. You see, Abraham had lied to Abimelech, hadn't he? And Abimelech had come under the discipline of the Lord because of what happened with Sarah. And in a few moments, we're going to see that Abraham also had a major grievance against Abimelech. So here's two men. They don't have a perfect relationship. They're uh, not faultless men. Nevertheless, each one of them had admirable qualities. And so it was a basis for mutual respect. Let's just pause here for a moment. Many people that we deal with are exactly like this. Now we all know there are some people who are impossible and you can't get anywhere with them. But often the people that we deal with have problems in their lives just like us. They are a mixture and there are virtues in them that are worthy of respect. And here's the point. Respecting those virtues can change a relationship. The old Irish pastor James Strahan gave an insight that I think is just a, a wonderful insight. And I want you to notice what Pastor Strahan said. He said, people aren't to be judged by the presence or absence of faults, but by the direction of their lives. Isn't that good? We all are imperfect people. We have faults. But here's the issue when it comes to getting along. What direction are we going? And if we are going in the same direction, 
then that ought to be respected. And that creates the conditions for peace. Now, here's some questions that I want to ask as we think about this this morning. Are you and your spouse going in the same direction? Are you? Well, that ought to cause mutual respect between the two of you. Are we as church members going in the same direction? Well, if we are, that should create respect between us. Do your neighbors want some of the same things for their kids that you want for yours? That is a basis for mutual respect. You see, we can solve a lot of conflicts if respect exists. We'll solve very few conflicts without it. And so this is where peacemaking starts with mutual respect. Let's notice the second requirement. Number two, peace requires righting the wrongs. Peace requires righting the wrongs. Look at verse 24, after being invited into this treaty, Abraham said, I will swear to abide by the treaty. Then Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. So I want you to notice here the sequence. After agreeing to enter this peace treaty, I will swear the oath about the conditions of the treaty. Abraham brings up a grievance about a well that his servants had dug and Abimelech's servants had seized. And this was a serious issue because this seizing was a violent seizing. Now here's the question. Why does Abraham bring this up now? He agrees to a treaty, and then he says, there's a grievance, there's a wrong, and we have to deal with this. Why? Well, Abraham knew two things. Number one, he knew we can't survive without water. So this well is very important. But he also knew this, if we don't deal with this, It'll happen again. It will occur again. And this is raised now to test Abimelech's sincerity. All right, <clears throat> you want peace with me? Right this wrong. Make the wrong right. Brothers and sisters, there's a very important point here. A very important point. When people really want to have peace, <clears throat> they are willing to make things right. If somebody really wants to have peace with someone else and there's a wrong, they are willing to make that wrong right. 
There's another very powerful insight that comes from the English pastor, Matthew Henry. And it is so good again, we need to see it this morning and listen to what he said. Peace is such a precious jewel that I would give anything for it but what? Truth. Truth. Peace is never to be sought at the expense of truth or right and wrong. Now, we all know that some offenses are just small potatoes. And you say, yeah, you know, you didn't really... uh, Uh, Treat me right in what you did, but it's such a small thing. I'm just going to shrug it off. It's no big deal. Other things are matters of vital truth or ethics, and they have to be addressed, especially if they are offenses that are repeated. Now, as we look here at this, this is a vital issue. Here are some servants who by violence took a well that some other servants had dug in a land where Abraham had given permission by the king to live in. And if Abraham doesn't deal with this, it's going to happen again. And there's going to be more violence. There's going to be a range war. And so how does Abraham now turn this wrong right. Uh, Let me just say to you this morning, this is as practical as you can get. This is as practical as your next argument. In fact, I'll make a bargain with you this morning. Next time you're in an argument and you can't remember these things we're going to just look at, you call me on the phone and I'll remind you. And the next time that I have an argument and I can't remember these things, I'll call you on the phone and you remind me. These are as practical as your next dispute. So let's notice what Abraham did. Number one, address the wrong you have suffered. Verse 25, it says, Abraham reproved Abimelech. It means to bring a complaint. And I want you to notice, it's very straightforward. There are no grudges here. There's no bitterness on the part of Abraham. There's no retaliation. You won't resolve disputes that way. It is very straightforward. There's a wrong here. And I'm going to address the wrong. Notice the second thing. Don't assume intentional guilt. Look down at verse 26 and notice Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. Do you know that is the strongest way possible to say, I wasn't involved? He makes three arguments. He says, I don't know who did it, I don't even know what happened, and I haven't heard it until now. You can't say any stronger, I wasn't involved in this. Do you know, 
It is very possible all this time Abraham thought Abimelech was aware of what happened. Now he discovers he didn't know about it and he didn't have anything to do with it. You ever resolved a dispute and the person didn't know that he even done it? How many times, right? They didn't even know what they had done. Or they knew what they had done, but they didn't realize how offensive it was. That's why this is so important to address the wrong. Because many times we will discover people that have done the wrong weren't even aware of it. And when they learn, they're apologetic. And then notice the next thing that Abraham did. Promise to do better yourself in the future. Uh, When he says in verse 24, I will swear by the terms of this treaty, what is he promising? Well, not to lie again, right? Isn't that what he's promising? Abimelech, you can trust me. The last time we had dealings, I didn't have integrity in what I said about my wife's marital status. You took her as a possible wife for yourself. God disciplined you. It was all because I lacked integrity. I want you to know now I'm going to act in integrity. You can trust me. It's amazing how people will forgive if they just sense we'll be humble. I'll never forget uh, this uh, dear lady. I, I promised that I would go and visit her husband in the hospital, and I forgot, and oh, was she put out at me. So I called her on the phone, and I said, I'm sorry, I forgot. Would you please forgive me? She melted like butter. She just melted like butter. And all she wanted was humility and a promise that I would do better. What an impact that can make in relationships. Notice the next thing. The next thing is go a second mile to secure peace. Go a second mile to secure peace. Look at verse 27. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? Now, what's going on here with these seven ewe lambs? Even Abimelech is surprised here. What's the meaning of these lambs that you have set apart by themselves? Well, in treaties like this, the one who benefited would give animals to the one who was their benefactor. Now, Abraham is the one who's benefiting. 
He gets to own a well in land that's not even his, but he is given permission to live on that land. In fact, this is the very first property in the entire land of Canaan that Abraham owns. And so now he gives seven extra ewe lambs. It's unclear here, were these a part of the original flock that he gave? Or were these extra lambs? It's unclear here. But what is clear is these seven ewe lambs were very, very valuable. You see, female lambs could produce milk. They could also breed additional lambs. Young female lambs could do both of those things longer than old female lambs. What's Abraham doing? He's going a second mile to secure peace. He's giving more than was expected even though he's the one who was wronged. There's a verse in the New Testament that is so applicable here. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, Abraham is a perfect illustration of this verse because in the context, the all is talking about non-believers. The exact situation that he is in. Abraham did all he could, even going extra, to secure the peace and Christians ought to be that way as well. Christians ought to be that way as well. We ought to be known in the wider community that when we have a dispute with a non-believer, whether it's a neighbor, somebody at work, or whatever the situation, that we are the kind of people that give rather than take to secure peace. Because as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we know people are more important than things. And therefore, I will go the extra mile with things to have peace with people. That's Romans 12, 18. And then, notice the last thing that Abraham did. Finally, let others know that you have made peace. Let others be aware that you have made peace. Look at verse 30. He said, these seven ewe lambs, this is the third time now that we have seen seven ewe lambs. You can see how important it is in the text. 
These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba. This is a different place than where Hagar had gone. This is now named the same thing, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Now what's going on here? Well, I want you to notice something. The Hebrew word seven and the Hebrew word swear an oath sound alike. So the seven lambs are a reminder of the peace treaty and Be'er Sheba means well of the seven, well of the oath. Notice these three things that are coming together that seven sounds an awful lot like swear an oath and then the name Beersheba sounds like and means well of the seven or well of the oath. You have three things coming together here that are all the reminders of this peace treaty. How many think Abraham's a pretty smart man? These reminders would protect the peace. And they would encourage others to keep the peace. You know that very wise parents, after an argument, do two things. They reconcile with each other. And then, if the children were present while the arguing was going on, they sit the kids down and they say something like this. Dad and mom lost their temper. We argued. We said some things we should not have said. We have apologized and we have forgiven each other. We were both wrong and we want you to know that we have made up. We love each other and nothing will ever pull us apart. And what those parents are doing, especially if they are Christians, is they are teaching their children how a Christian family functions when the peace has been broken. Because Christian families are like any other family, the peace often gets broken, but we handle it in a whole different way. We handle it in the way that Abraham handled it, and thus we teach our children someday when you are in a Christian family, this is how you can handle it, and you can handle it this way in the rest of your relationships. And someday when they are adults, they'll rise up and call us blessed because they saw how Christians keep the peace 
when it's broken. How wise this is. Address the wrong you've suffered. Don't assume intentional guilt. Promise to do better yourself in the future. Go a second mile to secure peace. Let others know you've made peace. Now as we wrap this up this morning, the last two verses teach us the third requirement. Peace requires anticipating the benefits. Peace requires anticipating the benefits. Look at verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. What's going on here? Well, for a nomadic, roaming shepherd like Abraham, this is like paradise. He's got water. He's got a tree that's going to grow up and provide shade. He's got freedom of worship to worship the everlasting God. And he's got peace with his neighbors. Can I say to you this morning, it doesn't get any better than this. And making peace brings incredible benefits. Incredible benefits. No wonder Jesus emphasized this. Let's read together his beatitude in Matthew 5, 9. Would you join me? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's ask the Lord to help us be those very children of God. Join me in prayer. Just before I close us in prayer, some of us need this right now. The peace is broken. Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe it's our family. It could even be here in the church. Or maybe with a neighbor. And possibly today, we might say, I haven't done these things. I haven't operated in 
such a way that as far as it depends upon me, I will have peace with all. And maybe today we see some gaps in our peacemaking efforts. And God is speaking to us about what we need to do. That we might handle broken peace in the right way. Whatever it is the Lord is putting his finger on, would you let his spirit convict you and show you where you need to change? There are some situations that are impossible, we know that, but often other situations are very resolvable. And so ask the Lord today to grant you his wisdom. His willingness, His way, that as far as it depends upon you, you will be a peacemaker. Father, help me today. Help my fellow church members. Help our friends who have gathered here and online to let you lead us and guide us in this way. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.